Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You are listening to the Technical File Podcast for Sunday, June 3rd, 2018. I'm your host, Manny Fresh. And uh, it's a solo show for me today. No co-host. Kind of wanted to do a show today because I had some things to get off my chest. You know, sometimes it's kind of therapeutic to do these podcasts because, you know, you can get to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, You know, I had some some things on my mind. I had an epiphany the other day about my Mets that... I want to share with you guys, you know, this is therapeutic. Talking to you guys, getting shit off my chest is very therapeutic. So that's why I do the podcast. And so I figured, you know, today is is, is no day to have a host, no day to have a guest, just me and you, a conversation. Um, As always, man, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This podcast is available anywhere on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, anywhere where you can find podcasts, we're there. Figured I'd get that out of the way early. Um, of course, it is June. Of course, it is NBA Finals time. So I guess we're forced to talk about probably the biggest story in sports, the J.R. Smith debacle and and everything that went on with the NBA Finals or whatever. And I guess I'm in the minority. And it's not a strange thing because I typically tend to be in a minority in a lot of things when it comes to sports. But uh, I'm in the minority. I can't believe how much play this J.R. Smith shit has got. Now, look, I've fed into it, too. I've posted memes. I've tweeted about it. I've talked about it. First and foremost, J.R. Smith's a fucking idiot. Are we surprised, though? Are we really surprised? Like, are we surprised that J.R. Smith didn't know the score of the game? And that's what it was. He could say what he wants to say about, oh, he was trying to, he was trying to call timeout or he, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever his excuse was, he could say whatever the fuck he was. First of all, we could see on the court that he mentions that we, I thought we were up to LeBron. Cause, you know, you gotta love technology in 2018 now that we can look at everything almost like, like it's the fucking Zapruder film where we could sit back and like look at lip movements and read lips and, you know, look at everything and how it happened and, and have 14 different angles to how everything happened. So um gotta love that about technology nowadays. But anyway, yeah, you see him mouth it that he thought they were up. And then it's like, dude, you gotta know the fucking score. Like this is it's bad enough that you don't know the score as a basketball player in any game, but that you don't know the score in an NBA finals game in a championship game? Come on, dude. Come on. Like that's just unforgivable. But it's JR. It's JR. We've seen this script for 15 years or so. 
Jaro Smith's a fucking idiot. We know this. So there's no, I, there's no surprise in my eyes. Like, I wasn't surprised when I saw that shit. I thought it was funny. I was like, oh, it's typical JR. I mean, what else is new? But I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. I was like, it's JR Smith. Why are we surprised? Why are we shocked? But I can't believe how much play this shit has gotten. Like, I don't think that's the reason they lost the game. First of all, I don't think that the block charge was the reason they lost the game. I don't think the J.R. Smith debacle was the reason they lost like, I can't believe those two things have gotten so much play. And I'll start with the J.R. Smith first. I think it's the most overrated topic of this entire situation. I really do. I think it's so overrated. I don't think that's why they lost the game. You know, to sit here and have, you know, I forgot who who the fuck compared it to the Chris Webber timeout. I'm like, really? This is what we're doing now? The worst mistake in championship history? Like, what? Really? First of all, Chris Webber's was worse. That was one game, a national championship game. Winner take all. Winner go home. One game. And he calls a timeout late in that game. That, to me, that's still the worst. You can make the case that that Chris Webber timeout basically lost Michigan the national championship game. This one, I... I don't think it lost in the game. I really don't. And I get I'm in a minority because I've I've expressed this on Twitter. I've talked to people about this and they think I'm crazy. I don't think the J.R. Smith lost in the game at all. I really don't. It was a bad play. It was a bad look. Don't get me wrong. You never want it to happen. But I just can't believe how much play this has gotten. And then the block charge, charge block, whatever you want to call it. Look, I think people are missing the point. People aren't mad about the fact that it was called either a charge or a block or it could first of all, that's a borderline call. Like that's a that's a judgment call. It could have gone either way. Like I was listening to some interviews with Steve Javi this weekend, and Steve Javi said, You asked 20, you pulled 50 officials, 50 officials with all degrees of experience available. 50 guys. 25 will say it's a charge, 25 will say it's a block. So it's a bang bang call. I don't think people are mad at the fact that it was called a charge or it was called a block. In my opinion, I thought it was a block. I didn't think he had his feet completely set. Now, some people will say, well, he was he was maneuvering self to get set. I mean, you could kind of break it down any way you want to. Me, to my eyes, to my in my opinion, watching basketball, I thought it was I thought it was a block. But I can't be upset if they called it a charge. Because like again, it's one of those that could go either way. Either way. I think what people are upset about is the fact that. The officials had the audacity and the wherewithal to actually review the call and change it. And then the fact that they actually went to review to review. First of all, to me, I don't like reviewing stuff after the fact, because to me, you're opening up a Pandora's box that you don't want open, because if that's the case, then you can basically review any foul call in the last two minutes. You can review anything. Why stop there? Why stop there and looking at a guy's feet, whether he was outside the restricted area? Why, why stop there and look at whether the guy was in the restricted area? Was there a guy, another guy in the restricted area that LeBron set his feet? Like, you can review all these things. Well, why can't you review turnovers, goaltending, you know, what what words were uttered to predicate a double technical, uh, who threw a punch first, who stepped on the court? Like, you can review anything now, basically. So to me, this is opening up a Pandora's box that you don't want opened up. But I think people are more upset at the fact that they actually reviewed a judgment call. Like it's one thing to review last possession. Who hit the ball out of bounds? You know, you know, 
Did the shot hit the, you know, did the ball hit the rim or it didn't on, on a on a uh, 24 second shot clock violation? Like things like that, I think people don't have a problem with. I think the, the the issue that people have is you're reviewing a judgment call. That's the Pandora's box we're opening up now. That's what we're doing. But even that, even that got way too much play. That cost the cap. That changed the game. It changed the series. They lost because of that. I, really? See, to me, that to me was overrated too because they still had a chance to win the game after. Now, I know people will say, well, you know what? It shouldn't have came to that. They should have won the game right there because they're up two with 30-something seconds left. They draw the charge there or they draw the charge there. And guess what? LeBron's going to the free throw line to hit two free throws. Like, I get what they're saying, but I still can't say that's the biggest play of the game or that changed the entire complexion of the game because they had a chance to win the game after that. They still had a chance to win the game after that. To me, the two worst plays in this entire game was number one, George Hill. George Hill. And I like George Hill. He's a solid pro. He's a guy that's been in the league for a long time. He's played on some good teams. And I'm sure that if you give George Hill truth serum, you don't even have to give him truth serum. George Hill will be honest. He'll say he, he has to make the free throws there. Those are free throws you have got to make. I'm more, I'm, if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm more upset that George Hill missed that second free throw because that's a free throw you have to make. When you're a team that's severely undermanned, when you're an underdog and you're facing a dynasty and you have an, and, and your best player puts on one of the great, even for me, that has the stomach to say that, puts on one of the great performances in NBA Finals history, NBA playoff history, you got to hit that free throw. That's a free throw you have to hit under, under under no circumstance do you allow yourself to miss that free throw. That's a free throw you have got to hit. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do the rest of the game. I don't care whether you had 20 points or two points. That's a free throw you have got to make. If you want to win a championship, those are free throws you have to make. That would have put them up by one with what? Two or three seconds left. Now, there's no guarantee that they would have won the game after that either because, of course, Golden State calls a timeout and they have an opportunity for a last shot. I get that. But at the very least, you have the lead and you make the Warriors have to work to win the game. So to me, the, the missed free throw by George Hill was the most egregious mistake in this entire. Number two, I would say Kevin Love Fallon Curry there. That's a play that didn't get a lot of, a lot of play. But I'm like, he fouled Curry on a stupid foul. Puts Curry on the line. He, of course, he hits two. Gives him the lead. Like, I, I just uh, I just can't believe how those two plays, the J.R. Smith debacle, the J.R. Smith debacle, and, and the officiating, the reversal of the block, charge, charge, block, whatever you want to call it. Though, I, I can't believe how much play those two things have gotten. Like, I'm in the minority. I don't think those two plays were that big. I mean, they were big plays, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that that's what led Cleveland to lose this game. To me, the free th- the missed free throws were more egregious. That was more egregious to me. The Kevin Love foul on Curry was more egregious. If you want to win a championship, that's you got to hit your free throws there. There's just no excuse. No excuse. And J.R. Smith. I mean, are we surprised? I mean, really, are we surprised? I'm not. It's J.R. fucking Smith. And I love J.R. I get a kick out of him. 
I loved him when he was on the Knicks. I followed him his entire career. I love J.R. Smith. But J.R. Smith is, is you know, J.R. is a tough player to root for. He, he must be a tough player to coach, to play with, to root for. Because J.R. has a lot of good things about him, but he has a lot of bad things about him. And as a basketball player, J.R. Smith is a total kamikaze. Because you just don't know what you're getting with him. J.R. is a guy that can win you a game, and he can also lose you a game. JR is a guy that you really can't count on every day. He's an enigma. You can't count on him every day. If you play three games in three nights, for two games, he's going to suck. But that third game, he's going to basically have 25 points, hit seven threes, and he's just going to ball the fuck out. But that's the problem with JR Smith. You just can't rely on him from game to game. Hell, you can't rely on JR Smith from quarter to quarter, minute to minute. He's a total enigma. And that was a, and it was just a bad look. It's just a bad look because just like you can't forget the score. You just can't. And it drives me insane that after the game he had to lie about it. Like, come on, just be honest. Like we all watched it. Everybody, we all know the chatter. We all know. And not to mention, your coach basically threw you under the bus. And I didn't like how Ty Lue did that. Ty Lue, you're the leader of the team. You can't throw your player under the bus there. Ty Lue has to lie there to cover for his player because Ty Lue basically said he didn't know the score. Without even being axed, by the way. So Ty Lue had no problems basically throwing JR under the bus there. I give LeBron credit. LeBron didn't even want to go there. He was visibly upset. He was pissed off, as he probably should have. Like, if I score 51 points in the finals and I still lose, like, yeah, I'd be upset too. Especially the way we lost. But even LeBron didn't take the bait and criticize J.R. Smith. But I just can't believe how how much play this shit has gotten. And for Ty Lue to get out there in the postgame press conference and say that we were robbed. Ty, what do you mean you were robbed? What do you mean you were robbed? I get it. It was a judgment call. You shouldn't review a judgment call. I, I get that. I, I understand that. I understand. But you weren't robbed. That's not the reason you lost the game. How about George Hill make a free throw? How about that? How about Kevin Love not foul Steph Curry? A silly foul at that. This idea that the the officials screwed the Cavs. I mean, it's a bunch of garbage. It's garbage. It's bullshit. I mean, it was a hell of a game. Hell of a game. Hell of a game one. Probably the best game one I've seen in a long time in the NBA Finals. Because usually game ones are kind of whack. They're kind of boring. Both teams are kind of filling each other out. You know. It's a long, you know. Sometimes NBA series tend to be long series for the most part. And, you know, game one is kind of a feel-out process. So you don't really get a lot of climactic, uh, you know, adrenaline-filled, dramatic game ones. This was one of them. And, of course, it was helped by LeBron's 51 points. The fact that the Warriors are such heavy favorites and the Cavaliers basically stood toe-to-toe with them. And the Cavs play. And this is what would worry me if I'm a Cavaliers fan. Looking towards tonight and the rest of the series. They played as well as they could have played. As well as you could have imagined the Cavaliers to play, they played. And I know that not everybody played well individually. But the Cavs as a whole played well. They destroyed the Warriors on the boards. And that's the one weakness that I've always said the Warriors have. I would beat them up inside. They just have no presence on the inside. Even with Draymond. They just have no inside presence. To me, every team should out-rebound the Warriors. Every team. 
And it's not even close how they should be. It's not even close. They should just be out rebounding them by 20, 25. Because they just have no inside presence. I know Durant's seven foot, but he's not a rebounder like that. But I thought the Cavs played a very good game. Obviously, LeBron did what LeBron does, but they got some contribution. You know, Kevin Love had a really good game. Larry Nance gave him a, a spark off the bench. George Hill before the missed free throws. He, you know, he had some shots. So I thought the Cavaliers played well. I thought the Cavaliers played well enough to win. They were the better team on Thursday night. Without a doubt, they were the better team. They were able to take, they took every right-hand goal to stay, gave them. They were able to withstand runs. At the end of the third quarter there, when it looked like Golden State was ready to run away with it, they, the Cavs were able to get back in the game. So you give the Cavaliers credit. They did everything possible to win that game, and they still lost. Still lost. The Cavaliers played as well as they could have possibly played in this situation, and they still lost. And that would concern me if I'm a Cavs fan. That would concern me. Because you got to believe Golden State's not going to play this bad again. And you got to believe the Cavaliers are not going to play. Like, what else can LeBron do? What, score 80? Maybe then, maybe then they'll win. But it's unrealistic to expect that the LeBron's going to score 51 points again. He might score 40 again, but I don't think he's going to score 51. And even that might not be enough. So unfortunately, what you saw on Thursday night, that might have been the high watermark for the series, in my opinion. That might have been the highlight of the series because I just think the war, and I think the Warriors know. I just look looking at their body language, looking at them in the post game. I think the Warriors know they dodged a huge fucking bullet. I think the Warriors know that they basically got lucky to win that game, and they get and they got lucky. Don't get me wrong, they got fucking lucky to win that game. Nonetheless, they won the game. I think the Warriors are going to come out motivated tonight. I think the Warriors are going to come out with a little extra sense of oomph. I think they're going to sit. I'm not, I don't think they're going to fuck around. I think they're going to try to run the Cavs out of the building. I think the Cavs are going to be demoralized. If the Cavs come out the way they came out at overtime, I, I tonight's going to be a blowout. Not even not even a debate. Tonight's going to be a blowout. They might lose by 35 tonight. The Cavs had a game and they blew it. They had a game. They had that game. Had that game. And they let it slip through their fingers. And when you're a team that's undermanned like the Cavaliers, when you're a team that's an underdog, that is not as talented as the team that they're facing, those are games you can't afford to give away. You just can't afford to give those games away. Under no circumstance can you afford to give those games away. That's a game you have to, have to win. Have to. Bottom line, you're not going to get a better opportunity. I think the Cavs may have another game like this in them. Maybe one more. Maybe. And that's asking for a lot. Before this series started, I said Cavs, I said the Warriors in four. I'm still sticking to that. And I think that if anything, the result last Thursday kind of enhanced that. I just don't know what the Cavs have left. They look so deflated and so demoralized and so upset. And and in part, it should be, but not at the officials, not at J.R. Smith. They should be mad at themselves. And again, the whole controversy with the officials and changing the call, to me, was so overblown. It was negated by the fact that the Cavs still had an opportunity to win the game after the fact. They still had a chance to win that game. It's not like that game came down to that and that's why they lost. No, they had a chance to win the game after. And if George Hill hits some free throws, they're up by one. 
And the whole J.R. Smith doesn't even happen. The whole J.R. Smith thing does not even factor into the equation. It never happens. Never happens. But I I just don't know where else you're going to get intrigue in this series. I just don't. I think the Cavs played their best game and still lost. And that would worry the fuck out of me if I'm a Cavaliers fan. Because what more? What more can we do? The Warriors didn't even play a great game. Durant had the softest 26 points you will ever have in your life. Like, Kevin Durant, he's under the gun. Like, Kevin Durant, he has he has disappeared. Outside of, you know, since game three of the Western Conference Finals, Durant has disappeared in this postseason. I don't know if he's hurt or if he's just, I don't know what it is. But he's just not, you know, I know he's had his moments and he's had little highlights, but he has not put played a complete game. Like, 26 points last night, he didn't have a big time game the other night. That was the softest 26 points you will ever see in your life. That's why you can't always look at the stats. I said it the last show. I've seen guys have 35 points and it'd be the quietest, most nondescript 35 points you'll ever have in your life. And I've seen guys have 20 points and it'd be the greatest games I've ever seen. That's why you can't just always look at the stats. You have to watch the games. Closely. See where every, every bucket comes from. The severity of the shots, you know, how they're being taken. Are they taken in garbage time or are they taken in, are they big shots in the flow of the offense in big moments in big situations where the teams needed a bucket? That's, that's where you grade the performances. Not on, oh, this guy had 35 and this guy had 19 or this guy had 52 and this guy had, LeBron played a hell of a game. 51 points. Hell of a game. Probably one of the best games I've ever seen him play. Which is saying a lot. Even me, who's a LeBron James hater, I can't even hate. He did everything he could to put his team in a position to win the game. And he did nothing in overtime, but he wasn't the only one. The team itself was just fucking deflated. And again, I just don't see us getting a different result in this series than what we really expected. Now, had they won that game, had the, had the Cavs won game one, I think at best you're seeing a six-game series. Because... Then the Cavaliers, they probably lose game two. They probably spit the next two in Cleveland. The Warriors go back, win game five, and then, you know, who knows? Game six is a toss-up, although you've got to get the edge to the Warriors. But I, I again, I, I, don't, I don't see the result of this series changing now. And, and I think it's actually been enhanced by what you saw on Thursday night. Like, I just don't see the Cavs having nothing left. I just don't see any much more of anything left because I just think they used everything they had in their reserves to win that game on Thursday. And it was for nothing. It was for nothing. They used everything they had in their tank to win that game and they lost. They still lost. 51 points by LeBron. A good wingman performance by Kevin Love. The Warriors not playing well. Yes, aided by some bad officiating, or I wouldn't say bad, but some questionable officiating decisions, missed free throws, bad fouls, a blunder by J.R. Smith. All these things contributed. I get that. But nonetheless, the Cavs played their best game and they still lost. So I don't see a difference in this result. I really don't. I don't see the results of this series changing. I still think the Warriors will most likely win in four. The most is five. I don't see a six-game series. After last, after Thursday night, I don't see a six-game series. I really don't. I'd be shocked 
if we're back, we're back in Cleveland in what in in three months because these fucking finals are going to take like eight years to finish. But I'd be shocked if we're back in Cleveland for a game six. Shocked. No way. The Warriors would literally have to basically just be disinterested for two, two, two or three games. Disinterested for this series to go back to Cleveland. So, riveting game one. We'll see what we get tonight. I, I doubt we're going to get a very good game tonight. I really do. Like, tonight just looks like a 35-point beatdown by the Warriors. Warriors kind of caught, caught their breath. Second life, second win. Cavs demoralized a little bit. They should have won game one. I just see a 35-point beatdown tonight. Can't you see it? Can't you see it? Now watch the now watch the Cavs win a 91 90, 90 game. <laughs> it always plays out that way. But now I just I, I don't see. And even if the Cavs won tonight by some level of imagination, I still don't see this series going past six games. I really don't. But yeah, I, I can see the Cavs getting beat down tonight. I really do. I really can see it. I really can see it. But the reason I wanted to come at y'all today um, with the podcast, because I had an epiphany the other night as I'm watching this horrific baseball team that I choose to root for day in and day out for the past 26 years of my life. The team that I don't know why, 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 why my mother, my brother, anybody that's in my family has allowed me to root for my entire life. And that team I'm talking about is my New York Mets. You guys know I am a huge diehard Met fan. As much as I am a Jet fan, as much as I am a Laker fan, as much as I am a fan of anybody, this is a franchise that has caused me the most pain of any of my franchises. Maybe the Jets. Tied with the Jets. Because being a Jet fan is fucking horrific. But the Mets are the Mets. And I'm sitting there watching the game the other night. And of course the Mets lose. And DeGrom gets no fucking run support. We're basically wasting a historic, iconic season by Jacob deGrom. I mean, the guy has a an ERA under one, or not, or close to being under one, essentially. I think it's, last I checked, it was like 1.54. He gave up a run last night, so it might have gone up. But he's having a historic, historic season, undefeated, 4-0. Really should be 8-9-0, really, when you think about it. He should at least be 8-0. We can't score runs for him at all. Wasting just amazing start after amazing start by Jacob DeGrom. Last night, he goes out there against a good Cubs lineup. Seven innings, seven hits, two walks, 13 strikeouts. Just completely dominant. Jacob DeGrom, to me, is the top three pitcher in baseball right now. I, I, don't even debate me on that shit. He is... Clearly one of the top five best pitchers in the sport. Not even not even a debate. And we're wasting, wasting starts by this guy. And we've lost three or four to the Cubs. We're losing today. Bottom seventh is two nothing. And, and it just finally hit me. They've got to tear this shit down. We've got to tear down and rebuild. We really do. We have to completely break it down and rebuild. And this is the first time that I've had this epiphany with the Mets. Cuz I you guys know I hate I hate tanking. 
I hate the, the, the idea of tanking. I think it's bad for sports. When you essentially say we're going to lose as much as we can for the next five, six years and basically not even try to compete. And it's done in baseball now. It's been done in basketball since the beginning of time. Football, to a certain extent, it's done, although it's hard in football. So I hate the idea of tanking. So I'll say rebuild. It's time for the mess to rebuild. The window's closed. We have nothing. We literally, I, I, I just had this epiphany that last night sitting on the couch. We have nothing. Nothing. There we are in a 14-inning marathon with the, with the fucking Cubs. And we're throwing out their 4A pitchers, Buddy Bowman, Tim Peterson, guys that the average baseball fan has never heard of, guys that don't even, that have no business being on a major league mound, Gerson Batista, who I've seen enough of to last me a fucking lifetime. And it just hit me. We just have nothing. We have no depth in the minor leagues. None. Zero. Zero. We have nothing. Nothing. We're an old team that's getting little to no production from the guys that we're paying a lot of money to. Jay Bruce, who who I think has gotten a pass. Jay Bruce has gotten a pass this year by the media because he's done absolutely fucking nothing the entire year. I can't even think of a moment or a highlight that Jay Bruce has had. I can't even think of a moment. Todd Frazier has had moments. Yoannis, even though he's had an injury-plagued year again, Yoannis has had moments. Adrian Gonzalez has had moments. Hell, Jose Batista off the street has had moments. I can't think of one moment that Jay Bruce has had. Like, wow, look at that. A bat by Jay Bruce. Look at that catch by Jay Bruce. Look at that, look at that, you know, play at the play by Jay. Nothing. Nothing. He's done nothing. Nothing. So to me, he's got an ultimate pass. Jerry Blevins has been horrible. The entire bullpen is gassed and, in a, and and just incompetent. Outside of Familia and 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 Gazelman and Lugo when he was in the pen, nobody else in that bu- in that bullpen gives you any ounce of confidence at all, at all. And Jerry's has not been good. Jerry's hasn't been good in two years. Let's be fucking real. Everybody talks about Harvey and blowing the World Series in 2015. Jerry's hasn't been the same since that series either. So really, when you think about it, there's only two guys in that entire bullpen all year that I've had any level of confidence in. Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo. And now Seth is in the rotation where he probably should have been in the first place. But be that as it may. There's nobody in that bullpen that I have any ounce of confidence in whatsoever. The rotation is in shambles. Outside of DeGrom and Syndergaard, Matt's. Matt's is starting to finally come around. He pitched a good game today. Wheeler is up and down. You never know what you're going to get from Wheeler. You get three good starts from Wheeler, and then you get five bullshit starts from Wheeler. You never know what the fuck you're going to get from Wheeler. Hell, you never go. You never. Wheeler is the J.R. Smith of baseball. Because you can't rely on Wheeler from inning to inning. I've seen, I've seen Zach Wheeler have dominant innings, and then the next inning he gets rocked for six runs. So you never know what you're going to get out of Zach Wheeler. Jason Vargas has been a fucking abomination. And I didn't like that signing to begin with. I was like, I don't understand the love affair with Jason Vargas. A guy who was winless in the second half of the season last year. 
I know he won 18 games or something. I don't know if he was winless, but he was just basically fucking horrible from the All-Star break on to the end of the season. Was just terrible last year. Won 18 games, but a fraudulent 18 games because he was just shitty the second half of last year. And then they signed him to a two-year $16 million. Sorry, $8 million for a guy who's been absolutely fucking terrible. Terrible. I know his last game was his best start, but who cares? Non-competitive. Every start he's had, but but two. I don't want to hear that they rushed him back from the injury. Who cares? You got to be better than that. Harvey, we all know what happened with Harvey. So a pitching staff that a a a a and a pitching staff that has been so bad that's been so terrible that it it just made me have this epiphany. The Mets were built on pitching. Like that was our calling card. That was what the one thing regardless of anything else, regardless of a shitty catcher situation, regardless of a shortstop situation that wasn't great, regardless of David Wright and all of his injuries, regardless of every issue that you wanted to point to with the Mets. Pitching was the one thing that you that you could say, well, if the Mets get this, they'll be or pitching. Wow, the Mets pitching is You can't even say that anymore. You can't even say that anymore. You can't even say that anymore. And I really believe that we're just cursed as a franchise. Like, I don't know what the fuck we did. Like, I don't know if we like sold our souls to win the 86 World Series, come back the way we did. And now we're, we're just, we're just paying the debt or whatever, because I just, I, I, I don't under, I have never seen a franchise in any sport deal with the level of injuries that the Mets have dealt with the last five years. I have never seen it. I challenge anyone to give me a franchise that has dealt with the level of injuries the Mets have had. And it's not even the fact that they're getting injuries, but it's just the the flukiness, the level of it. I mean, we had two of our best pitchers go down in the same day from essentially the same injury. A finger injury. To lose your, that's like losing your backcourt in the same day to the exact same injury, to turf toe or something. Like, it's just, I mean, this is the level that the Mets are on. This is a franchise that started 11 and 1. 11 and 1. 12 and 2. They were rocking. They were rolling. Everything looked great. And I go back to that game they had against the Nationals. That Monday night. I forget when. April something. They had a 6-2 lead against the Nationals going into the bottom of the eighth. They had the Nationals dead. They win that game. Who knows? Maybe the Nationals are six, seven, eight games back. You got a chance to run away with the division, 13-2. Your whole season, your whole outlook of your season is totally different if you win that game. What happens? The Mets' first bullpen implosion happens. And if you've been a long-time Met fan like myself, you ju- even though you wanted to believe that things would be different, you just knew that that was that was the end. I knew it that day. No bullshit. I knew it that day. That's how bad that loss was. You just knew that that loss was going to have lingering consequences. And here we are, in danger of falling three games under five hundred. 12 and 2 start. Could have gone 13 and 2. 12 and 2 start. And it just hit me last night like, what are we doing? Where are we going as a franchise? Where are we going? 
We have no no farm system to speak of. Yeah, we have a couple guys here and there. David Peterson, Justin Dunn, Peter Alonzo. We have a couple of guys that are coming into their own slowly but surely. But as a whole, we have no depth in the minor leagues. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. And I'm not even that big of a farm system guy because I think that stuff is overrated. I really do. But when you look at it, I mean, we just have nothing. We have nothing. I'm so tired of hearing about the injuries. I know that the injuries are a lot and it's just sometimes it's too much to kind of overcome. But I'm so tired of that narrative. Injuries. There's other teams that have injuries that are able to withstand it or seem to be able to withstand it better than we do. But we have no depth in the minors. We have no bullpen. Our starting rotation is inconsistent, consistently inconsistent outside of the big two. Our lineup is old and banged up. We have three young position players that we can build around and Nimmo, Conforto, and Rosario. The rest of these guys are all old. Jay Bruce has given you nothing. Yoannis, who God only knows when we'll ever see Yoannis Cespedes again because he's he seems to be up and down with this fucking hip injury every year now. This is the second year in a row now that he's been hampered by these leg injuries. So much for not golfing, so much for no more water, you know, for drinking more water and all this other shit that he was supposedly going to do. We got rid of Ray Ramirez, who was a fucking terrible trainer. And guess what? We're still having the same injury issues. We have nothing. Nothing. Look at the Braves. Look at the Phillies. Young, exciting teams. Although I'm still not sold on the Braves completely. Got to give credit where credit is due. The Braves have a boatload of young players. And they still got more young players coming. They got a good core nucleus of young position players to build around for the next 10 to 15 years if they choose to. Phillies, the same thing. The Marlins are tanking, so I won't even include them in the situation. And even the Nationals. Even the Nationals were a franchise who I've said at the beginning of this of this baseball season are at a crossroads. That this might be the last year of their run. Even them. Even if they lose Harper. They still have Strasburg. They still have fucking uh, Scherzer. And they still have two young kids to build around in Soto and the catcher. Not to mention Trey Turner. The Nationals are even in a better in a better situation going forward than the Mets. What do the Mets have to sell? An old, beat-up, decrepit team with no pitching, no depth in the minor leagues, nothing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And I've been hesitant to say rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. I've been hesitant to say it since last year when some Met fans were calling for it. And I said, oh, you guys are full of shit. But as we sit here June 3rd, I can't I can't be hesitant anymore. I can't. We have nothing. What are what are we where are we going? After today, we're gonna to be three games under 500. We completely collapsed. Completely collapsed. Completely collapsed. Any wiggle room that we had, any wiggle room that we had established or built by the that that 12 and 2 start is completely gone because now we're three games under 500. Complete collapse. That 12-2 start was a mirage. They We fell for it again, Met fans. They did it to us again. We have nothing. Nothing. It's time to rebuild. I hate to say it. It's time to rebuild. I love Jacob DeGrom, but I think it's time to think about, at the very least, seeing what we could get from him. I love Noah Syndergaard, but I think it's time to think about at least 
at least have a, an open conversation about what we can get from him. Not saying trade these guys automatically, but those are your two best assets. You're not getting anything for Jay Bruce. You're not getting anything for Jay Bruce. Even if Jay Bruce turns it around the rest of this year, you're not getting anything for Jay Bruce. What are you getting from him? You didn't get anything from him last year at the deadline. Now, you know, maybe you get something more because he's under contract for another two years, but I doubt it. Okay, we release Adrian Gonzalez. We release Jose Batista. We release Jose Reyes. Bring up some young kids. Bring up Smith. Bring up Chikini. Guillaume's already up. You let the young kids play now. You're not getting anything for Bruce. You're not getting anything. You know, if you wanted to trade Frazier, A, he's hurt. And then you're not getting anything for him. Anything of value, I should say. The catching situation is a disaster. I know that I know that Mezzarocco has been a revelation. He's been the best catcher we've had here in, you know, basically since Paul Aduca. You let him play out the string this year. Your best assets are DeGrom and Syndergaard. Now, I wouldn't trade both of them. The guy that makes sense the most to trade is, is DeGrom. He's under contract to 2020. He's 30. He's going to be 30. Or I think if he's not 30 already, he's either he's 29 going on 30 or he's just turned 30. Can't remember. He signed for two more years. That's two, po- that's two pennant races that he can affect, which means the return for him will be high. So I would honestly consider it. And I hate to say it. This goes against everything I believe in as a Met fan. This goes against literally everything that I that I can stomach as a Met fan. But I'm just watching this team and we just have nothing. We have nothing. What do we have? What do we have? Where are we going? You can't get off to an 11 and 1 start and now be 3 games under 500. In June, I think this franchise as is really at a crossroads right now. I think they I think I think we really have to look at ourselves in the mirror. I think we have to clean house. You know what? The heat is on Sandy Alderson now. You know, for years, Sandy Alderson has has gotten a pass. Terry Collins got all the hate, got all the blame. Ah, he's a terrible manager. He mismanages the bullpen. His his managerial moves leave a lot to be desired. Blah blah blah. Dee, 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 all valid points. But Terry Collins is long gone now. Sandy Alderson's now the guy here, still. And the manager that he's brought in, Mickey Calloway, all I hear, all I heard about all spring training and all Mickey Magic, 12 and 2 star. This guy's a pitching guru. I have yet to see the pitching guru, Mickey Calloway, at work. What has he done? I can make the case that every pitcher he's touched is worse outside of DeGrom. And I don't know how much credit you give him for DeGrom. Okay, you want to give him credit for Gazelman finding himself as a reliever? Okay. Every other pitcher on the staff has been has gotten worse. His managerial moves are fucking horrible. Like, I can manage better than Mickey Calloway. Let's not forget about batting out of order. One of the most embarrassing things can happen to a big league manager. I think it's time for Alderson to go. 70 years old. God bless him. Former Marine. Battled cancer. He's done some good things for the Mets. I'm not going to completely shit on Alderson. But it's time for him to go. It's time to just, you know what? It's just time for new blood throughout the organization. 
a new scouting department, a new GM, a new president of baseball opera, whatever we have to do. It's just, it's time for this organization to look at itself in the mirror and say, where are we going? Are we a contending team in 2018? And right now, you're not. Right now, you're not. Look at this division. Are you on par with the Braves? No. The Braves beat our skulls in every other fucking time we can look at, we can think. Are we on par with the Phillies? No. We already know about the Nationals. Right now, we're fighting for fourth place. Fourth fucking place. Where are we going as a franchise? Nowhere. That's where we're going. Nowhere. So come July 31st, August 1st, if this shit gets by then, who knows? We might be 15 games under 500 by then. Then it'll be then it'll be even more clear. But if by July by July 31st, August 1st, we're three games under, a game over, or at 500, I think this franchise legitimately has to look at itself and say, where are we going? Do we really have a chance to compete this year? Do we really have a Are we a contending team? Are we a contender or are we a pretender? We have to be real with ourselves. And I'm not saying a full fucking complete just choke job, a complete just fucking, you know, tank job where we basically tank and see you in 2023. I'm not saying that, but I think we clearly have to reset. Reset for a year or two and then come back in 2020, 2021. Hopefully with some young prospects, ready to compete, ready to win. Because right now, this this team is currently constituted. We're not winning shit. We're not winning anything. We're not winning anything. I had that epiphany last night as I'm sitting there watching a 14-inning marathon, marathon game where we can't fucking touch the immortal Luke Farrell. Luke fucking Farrell. The 12th pitcher on the Met, in the Cubs bullpen. And we can't touch this dude. And it just hit me. And then, of course, we lose in the bottom of the fourth. You know, we lose in the 14th inning when the Cubs basically explode for six runs off of guys like Buddy Bowman. It just hit me. Like, what are we doing? Where are we going as a franchise right now? Nowhere. Nowhere. That's where we're going. And I hate to say it. It hurts me to say it because I'm a Met fan. I love this team. I want to see this team compete. But it's clear as day. That we need to we need to hit the reset button. Organizational wise, we can't get rid of fucking the Wolpons. That's that's who I would officially want to get rid of. To be like, if if I had a list of who to get rid of on the Mets, the Wolpons would be number one because I don't think we're ever going to win anything with the Wolpons. We've won in spite of Fred Wolpon. We've won in spite of him, but I think it's time for Sandy Ellison to go. Right off in the sunset. I don't want to see him rebuild this team. I don't want to see it. I want to see a younger GM, a new blood, a new voice, a new face. I want to see a younger GM. I know John Rico is, is the, the GM in waiting, but I mean, this whole this whole administration needs to go. I ask you Met fans, do you have confidence in Alderson and, and, and John Rico to rebuild this team? Do you have confidence in them? I don't. So it just really fucking hit me, yo. Like, yo, it's time to fucking tear this shit down. It really is. And the worst part about it is that it's going to require us trading one of, if not both, DeGrom and Syndergaard. That's the fucked up part. Because that's our best assets. It is amazing. If you would have asked me in 2015, when the Mets are in the World Series... 
to, th- to, to look, to look into a crystal ball, look at the future and think about where the Mets would be in 2018, I would have said you're lying. I would have said you're full of shit. I would have never expected this. Never expected this. Never. And this is my problem with the Met fan in 2015. And I said it then, God is my witness. I was upset with the Met fan. The Met fan was too giddy. He was too happy. The Met fan was too happy to lose that World Series. All I heard in talk radio and on Twitter was, well, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back. You know, we got these young studs, these young pitchers, blah, 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 da, 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 da. We'll be back. We'll have many opportunities to get back to a series. A, you don't know the history of this franchise that we all choose to root for. And B, I say it again. I say it every time on the show, it seems like. When you have a chance to win a championship, you leave no stone unturned. You do everything in your humanly powers to win a championship. And the Mets let a championship slip through their hands. I know the I know the Royals were a good team that year and they were probably a better team. But let's be fucking serious here. The Mets blew that World Series. They should have won game one. They should have won game. They won game three. They should have won game one. They should have won game four and five. We blew that series. Blew that series. We let a championship slip through our hands. And Met fans who were normally, like me, pessimistic, angry, cynical about everything. Oh, but we'll get back. Oh, we had a good ride. It was a fun ride. We'll get back. They regret to, they regret to remind you guys that before 2015, it was 15 years before we had gotten to a World Series. I'm sure there was a lot of Met fans, even myself, after the 2000 World Series where we lost to the Yankees. Oh, we'll get back. We have Piazza and Ventura and, and, and Gardo Alfonso and Leiter and Hampton. We'll get back. 15 years later. 2006, that great team. Lost in Game 7 of the NLCS to that horrific Cardinals team. Oh, we'll get back. 07, 08. We got, you know, Beltran, Delgado, LaDuca, Reyes, Wright, Prime. We all know what happened after. It is amazing to think about. It is amazing, amazing to think about how far this fucking team has fallen in just three short years. It's amazing. I mean, I I really, I have nothing else to say because it's just, it is amazing to think about where we're at right now. Brothers and sisters! Brothers and sisters! I don't know what this world is coming to! Fouls of the week. And uh, my foul of the week this week goes to Brian Colangelo. President of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously son of Hall of Fame executive Jerry Colangelo. Uh... Brian Colangelo, former NBA executive of the year in 2007 and I believe 2009, I believe, uh, executive of the year. President of the Raptors, built, really built the Raptors uh, from the ground up. Um, essentially build the Raptors to what we know them today. I know Masai Ujiri gets a lot of credit for that, um, but Colangelo really kind of built the um, built the Raptors to what they are today. Uh, drafted uh DeMar DeRozan, uh, 
you know, kind of built the infrastructure of what the Raptors are. Uh, he was the NBA executive of the year 2005-2007. Sorry. So I fucked up on that one. But, um, yeah, uh, you guys know the story that The Ringer published. Um, Colangelo being accused of using five, up to five burner accounts to criticize NBA, you know, amongst other people, criticize his own players, Jaleel Okafor, Joel Embiid, um, kind of giving away trade secrets of the inner workings of the organization, um, Markel Fole. I mean, just a, a litany of things that, you know, kind of go on to be discussed in the, in the Ringer article and, this is, you know, a lot of people have kind of weighed in on their thoughts on this story. First of all, burner accounts are nothing new. Obviously, famously, Kevin Durant took a bunch of L's a couple years ago. I believe it was last year for being discovered to have a burner account, which he used to kind of fire back at Twitter, uh, Twitter followers, fans, and, you know, criticize his old teammates, including Russell Westbrook, his coach, whatever, et cetera. And he got a lot of heat and took a lot of L's for that shit. Uh, burner accounts are nothing new. I mean, a lot of athletes and, you know, a lot of athletes and a lot of sports that have burner accounts, a lot of famous people that have burner accounts. Um, so it's nothing new. It, it's been known for a long time as a common practice. Um, I've seen some interviews with guys, you know, in the NFL that said they knew plenty of guys in the NFL that had burner accounts, three, four, five in some cases. So it's nothing new. What makes this situation bad though is that this is an executive. This is a leader of an organization that essentially has five burner accounts. If true, allegedly, we got to throw that out there. Allegedly, if this is true, he used these burner accounts not only to just go back at fans. That's one thing. But to sit there, basically criticize your own players, you know, criticize your 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 predecessor, you know, coaching moves, you know, things of that nature. That's that's a bad look. That is a really bad look for the NBA and for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't know. I've been reading up on this shit the last couple of days, man. And I'm not going to say that it's true or not true, but I don't know. The smoke, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I know the ringer has been where, you know, I like the ringer. I read a lot of their work. Um, they publish a lot of good work. It's, it's a site ran by Bill Simmons. You guys know I'm a fan of Bill. Um, so a lot of their work is legit. You know, it's, it's not like they put out bullshit out there. Um, Looks like, you know, I read an interview with Bill Simmons and I also kind of heard an interview with the kind of the writers that kind of published the piece. And, and, you know, they all seem like they know what's going on. They were very plugged in. They really they received the source, which kind of dictated them kind of following the story and, and doing the research on it. So, like I said, I don't I don't know. We don't know for sure. I'm not going to sit there and say I know Brian Colangelo did it, obviously, because I don't know. But I'm going to say this. The Ringer wouldn't publish this shit if they, if there wasn't something to it. And now you kind of hear recent claims that, you know, some of the burner accounts are tied to his wife and that, well, maybe Brian Colangelo, quote unquote, didn't have anything to do with the burner accounts. Maybe people in his family, i.e. his wife, brother, except, you know, whoever, whoever it was, it's not a good look for Brian Colangelo. It's not a good look for the Philadelphia 76ers. It's not a good look for the NBA. And if it is the case and this, this, these burner accounts are tied to Brian Colangelo, even if, even if he didn't exactly tweet in these Brian, well, he admitted to two of them. So automatically, automatically he's wrong. And then, but he said he didn't have up to five and he said he didn't criticize all of the other accounts that he had or that allegedly were alleged for him to have or whatever. Um, whatever happens in this situation, I think he has to lose his job. I mean, to me, you can't, as an NBA executive, have burner accounts. You can't go out there and have fake accounts where you're responding to Twitter followers and you're going out there 
And even if he didn't have anything to do allegedly with these accounts, if his wife, his brother, cousin, baby mama, whatever happened, like if he didn't know, he should know. And if he didn't know, like he should know. And I, I, I don't see how he doesn't lose his job. I mean, this is a bad look. I mean, if you're an NBA player, you're you're sitting down meeting with the 76ers this offseason to try to sign a deal here. I mean, how do you how do you trust this organization? How do you sit down face to face with this guy and and you know, talk contract negotiations or, you know, if you're a GM of another team, how do you sit there and trust that this guy's not going to go use a burner account to throw out information or medical reports or whatever? And I know it seems far fetched, but really, is it? I mean, I mean, this is some serious shit to criticize your own coaching staff, the guys that you hire, that you put in place, assistants, coaching moves, criticize your players, former players. Your superstar, the worst one is your superstar. It's one thing to criticize Jaleel Okafor or to, or to criticize Markel Fultz, but to, to criticize your franchise player in Joel Embiid and the contract you gave him. I mean, this is bad shit. So I don't see how he doesn't lose his job here. I really don't. Sixers are conducting an, organi- you know, an organizational review and an investigation of their own. Uh, we'll see what comes of it. Again, I, I don't, I want to say allegedly because we don't know for sure, but. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And I know the ringer wouldn't publish no shit, no bullshit ass story. And he's already admitted to already having at least two burner. I think he said two, or I read somewhere that it was two. I know he admitted to having for sure one burner account, but that he didn't, that he only used it, I guess he said, to talk to family and friends and that nature. What, what I, listen, it's a bad look. It's a bad look. I mean, you're, you're the, you're basically running the Philadelphia 76ers and you're having burner accounts and being alleged of having up to five burner accounts where you're criticizing coaches, players, and Masai Ujiri, you're the guy who replaced you in Toronto. I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's bad. And Colangelo, you know, he, he, his reputation took a little bit of a hit the last couple of years. You know, his exit from Toronto wasn't exactly pretty. Um, he was criticized a lot there for some, you know, behind the scenes stuff. So it's not like Colangelo's a saint. It's not like he's a saint. So this story is fucking weird to me. I mean, again, and the whole burner thing, I mean, there's athletes that have burner accounts. I'm sure there's actors and actresses that have burner accounts. Any, basically, if you're a celebrity, you're going to have a burner account in some way, shape, or form. So God only knows, man. But hey, man, Brian Colangelo, take this foul because this is a major foul. Major foul of the week, Brian Colangelo and his eight burner accounts or some shit. I mean, how the fuck you have burner accounts, man? Like... As an executive, you just can't have it. It's one thing as an NBA player, and even NBA players is bad. It's a bad thing. But when you're an NBA executive, you're, a, you're signing people's checks. Or at least not signing people's checks, but you know what I mean. Like you're you're running the organization. Can't out here having burner accounts. Like, what is that? So Brian Colangelo, foul of the week. That's it for me, man. This was a depressing episode of the podcast, man venting about my Mets and the Mets have gone on to lose two nothing so yeah we're three games under 500 amazing after starting 12 and 2 but anyway I'm gonna get up out of here man I wanted to do a show this week um my choice and I have a co-host this week like I said I just kind of wanted to get some things out of my chest really the 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 J.R. Smith and how much play that shit got because I felt like I was the only person in the world that was saying that like I thought it was so overrated between the block charge and the J.R. Smith situation I thought that hole was you know George Hill's got to hit free throws bottom line that's where Cleveland lost that game hit some fucking free throws but anyway, I'm going to get about here, man. Uh, as I stated in the beginning, man, thank you for listening to the show. Um, last, I, you know, I posted this on Snapchat the other day. 
uh, two episodes prior, so not last week's episode, but the episode the week prior um, in Kenobi Trust. Um, that was the most listened to episode of the podcast in the entire almost two year history of the show. Um, and I just want to say thank you to everybody that listened, that subscribed, that downloaded, whether you listen for 10 minutes, whether you listen for the entirety of the show. Um, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know Jut also feels the same way. He was, and, and Luke also feels the same way. He was amazed when I told him the story. I mean, I told him that. I mean, it's amazing, man, where we're at and just, you know, almost two short years um, to this podcast, man. Um, still got a long way to go. Um, we're not through yet. Like I posted on Instagram or I posted on Twitter, like, but it's, it's, uh, it's a big achievement, man. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that listens and continues to subscribe to the show week in and week out. And to the new people that are listening, um, hope we can continue to keep you on as a listener and as a subscriber and, you know, keep you on as a fan of the show. Um, cause I think we really do a great, great work here. Um, and I'm just so humbled and so blessed by, by that man, I, I I don't even have any. I, I know I'm stammering and stuttering, but I just honestly I don't have any words. It, it's just amazing when I found that out, and through all pla- and that's through all platforms: SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. So it's just it's amazing, man. It is amazing. It is amazing uh, that we're there. Um, most listened to episode um, in the entire history of the show. Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy, 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 crazy. So I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart, man, but I'm going to get up out of here and enjoy the rest of my Sunday, uh, game two of the NBA finals resumes tonight. Um, or NBA, the NBA finals resumes tonight with game two. Um, we'll see what the Cavs have left. Um, I, I don't see much, I don't see much left in the, uh, in the tank, but we'll, so we shall see. That is why they play the games. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to get up out of here, man. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the show. I say this all the time. Without you, there is no podcast. So thank you for listening. As always, you can follow and subscribe to this podcast. I said it at the beginning on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Don't need to repeat that. Y'all know where to find us. Find us. We're everywhere. Um, I'm going to get up out of here. We'll catch y'all next week with another episode of the podcast. Um, have a happy, safe, blessed week, man. Enjoy it. It's summer out there. It's almost summer. So the weather's starting to get nice all over. So get outside enjoy it i know i plan to so uh with that being said man i am out of here i'm your host manny fresh catch y'all next week on the podcast peace Seriously.